If you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to continue with our series on called Authentic Living. And it is a series that we have been doing on Galatians 5 on the fruit of the Spirit. That uh, on what God has called us to. And we are looking at there are nine specific fruits that Paul um, talks about in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, we're on number 8 today talking about gentleness. And just a couple of things as we, as you get ready and prepared to look at Galatians 5. We're going to start in verse um, 16 and do a little bit of a review, but just a reminder about the fruit of the Spirit. Number one, it's a single fruit. It's not fruits like Galatians 5.19 talks about the works of the flesh, but it's fruit, meaning basically it's one spirit with many different manifestations of these character traits that we're talking about. But just some things that we've talked about over the coming weeks that I just wanted to refresh our memories as we walk through and look at these. And first of all, things to remember concerning the fruit of the Spirit is that the fruit of the Spirit is something that cannot be manufactured on our own. This is a work of grace that's taken place in our life. We've talked about how we can have natural bents toward our personality traits and different things like that. But that's not what the fruit of the Spirit is. We cannot manufacture, like we will talk about today, gentleness or goodness like we talked about last week, on and on. Also, the fruit of the Spirit is not a package deal. It's not that we can pick and choose which ones we want. But we are to manifest all nine of these fruits uh, in our lives and not just say, well, you know, uh, I really like goodness, but gentleness just isn't my thing. No, that's not what this is about. It's not a package deal. Also, we've been talking about and even look at today is that the, the fruit of the Spirit is done both internally and externally, meaning this, meaning that the Spirit of God works in us these fruits And then as the Spirit of God works these fruits in our life inwardly, internally, then what it does is it manifests itself and we demonstrate that fruit to one another as we go through and share life together and do different things along those lines. So it works and is displayed. Hopefully people see it in us, this fruit manifested in us, but then they also see it, as we talked about last week, when we looked at goodness and we looked at the scriptures that said that we were prepared uh, that, that, uh, to do good works so that the unbeliever and that people would glorify God in heaven. So they would also see these, this good fruit in us being manifested externally so that they would bring glory to God. And then uh, just another helpful reminder about the fruit of the Spirit is that not all fruit ripens at the same time. Not all fruit ripens at the same time. We talked about this. Just making sure we understand, okay? You know, uh, you, somebody may display faithfulness or love or joy, but man, they're lacking on the peace side. Or maybe they're lacking on the patience side and the kindness and, the, and all of the different fruit that, are, that Paul talks about here. Uh, just remember, not all fruit ripens at the same time. So let's, be, let's give grace to one another. Let's... Let's see, man, Phil, you really lacked patience here, buddy. Yep, that's right. I'm, I'm still a work in progress. How many of you are a work in progress? Amen? Great. And then finally, the last thing for us to remember is that the fruit of the Spirit is the result of the normal Christian life. This is something, this fruit that Paul talks about here is to be something that is manifested in our lives. It should just be a daily, normal part of, of the work of grace in our life. So hopefully we are growing in these fruits. But we have taken the last couple weeks to look at each fruit individually, not corporately as a whole, but how are they to be manifested in our lives as we walk this out. And this is why I call it Authentic Living. This is why I titled this series Authentic Living because this is the way Christians are supposed to live. This is what authentic Christianity looks like. 
One thing I despise is a Christianity that is nothing more than a facade. It's fake. It's not real. Because Jesus was very real. Jesus was authentic. He was that genuine. Whenever he related to anyone, he related in a very authentic way. And so we are to have and to live authentically as well. These fruits are fruits of the Spirit that are at work in us so that we can see them manifested through us as well. And so Galatians 5, let's look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. Now, We've talked about this the first week when we looked at these verses here. And we know that we still live in the flesh here. And our flesh is at war with our spirit, Paul says. They're at war with one another. The flesh does not want us to display or to cultivate the fruit in our life. The flesh is going to do everything it can to hinder the growth process of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. But Paul is encouraging us that if we walk by the Spirit, if we're walking by the Spirit, we are not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. If we're walking by the Spirit, we're going to be able to put to death the works of the flesh, all of those things that are in opposition against what God is trying to do in us. And so it carries on. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, so if we're walking by the Spirit, now Paul is saying if we're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things or those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. And then go with me to just write over to the next page, if it's in your Bible, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll just look at verse 1 and 2. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in us. And Lord, I just pray, God, and want to thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your kindness, which was you have shown to us, which led us to repentance and to put our faith and trust in you. So God, I I pray that today you would open up the eyes of our hearts to be able to hear what you have for us. And so Lord, we thank you and we trust you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In 1839, Pastor George Bethune said this, Perhaps no grace is less prayed for or less cultivated than gentleness. Indeed, it is considered rather as belonging to the natural disposition or external manners than that as a Christian virtue. And seldom do we reflect that not to be gentle, or, and seldom do we reflect that not to be gentle is sin. And so here we are some 180 years later since that statement, 
that I can fully say that we, I can, I'm sure you can too, that nothing really much has changed when it comes to the characteristic and the fruit of the spirit of gentleness. I don't know many people who say, come down on Sunday mornings and say, Phil, would you pray for me for a spirit of gentleness? I don't think in many ways our world values this character trait the way God values it. We know as we've seen it throughout looking at the fruit of the Spirit, some of these uh, fruit have, while they're the same, there are certain elements of them that is a little bit different. No, this is not the case for gentleness. Gentleness can be seen in different ways in Scripture and the ways that the Greek uses it, but it, it, it pretty much is um, forthright in its definition of what it means. A lot of times it is used and can be used rather than gentleness, it's the word meekness. So gentleness, meekness, it can be uh, used as reasonableness sometimes uh, in Scripture, but it's the same word in the Greek that means that there is this demeanor that we are to have that is a spirit-empowered fruit, not, again, one of these things that is a natural disposition that ah, I just tend to be, that's my personality. I'm, I'm a gentle soul. I'm, a, I'm much more, way, no, we're not talking about that. This, this is spirit-empowered gentleness. This is something more than just what we talked about earlier, that we're manufacturing or is a natural disposition toward us. This is a work of grace in our life. You see, because the world in which we live does not value this word gentle because the church in many ways doesn't value it. But Paul includes this word, gentleness, as a fruit that is to be manifested in our life because in many cases, gentleness or meekness can be viewed as weakness. Throughout history and in our macho man culture, gentleness is not seen as a strength. And so what exactly is this gentleness or this meekness aspect? that we are this fruit that we are to manifest in our life that Paul's talking about here. You see, we live in a culture today that if there was ever a character trait that needed to be developed, it's this character trait of gentleness. And our culture of abuse that happens, that is happening in our world today, it is not a gentle nature that's taken place. If anything, it's violence against women and children and men in particular, but in particular women and children, where we're seeing a violent streak of what's happening in our culture where we've got to pray for God to, to allow gentleness to flow through our lives to make sure that we are not Verbally abusing somebody, sexually abusing somebody, physically abusing somebody. To where we, as men in particular, men, to where we are displaying a sense and a spirit of gentleness to where our wives and our children are not feeling the harshness or the abrasiveness that we may bring to the table. We certainly can't point to the world and tell them to stop if we're not looking in first and ourselves to making sure that we are walking in gentleness and asking God to cultivate in us a gentleness. Because what we have seen, not only in the world, but in the church as well, this characteristic is lacking. I want everyone to know that abundant grace is a church that is a safe place. We, we will deal with any type of abuse. We want to have, make sure that, that women and children feel free to be able to come and express themselves and share with the pastoral team any cares or concerns that they may have pertaining to anyone, spouse or not. We have, as, as what's happening in our culture today and what is going on in our world today, if, if the church is not a place where people can come and have the freedom to find help, what are we here for? Amen? 
And we've got to be men and women who are there ready to roll to be, to show a spirit of gentleness, to be aware so that this, when people come for help, that they receive help. And so we see this. But, but we're going to look at today really what gentleness is. Gentleness is not weakness. And in particular, I, I am going to speak a lot to men today because we as men can, can not saying that women cannot be gentle, but they tend to be much more gentle. But we as men can look at gentleness as being somehow weak. And we're going to see from Scripture today how, no, this is not how God and this is not how Paul is defining gentleness. He's not defining it as being weak. We can see that gentleness is different than even meekness. Even though that they're the same, gentleness and meekness are different. I believe it is in your notes. Gentleness is active. Gentleness is active. It describes the way in which we are to treat others. Meekness is passive. It describes our response when others treat us wrongly. So gentleness is active. It's the way we treat others. Meekness is passive in how we respond and how we respond to people who treat us wrongly or when we are being mistreated. And so this is the difference between the two. Even though there's similarities, there are those differences between gentleness and meekness. But meekness and gentleness is not weakness. It is strength under control. Or as we say, here is the Greek word for gentleness right here that is also translated meekness, that at other times reasonableness that we'll see in Scripture as well, protests. And it simply means this, power under control, strength under control. I think you may have heard that used, that phrase used before. It is power under control. So we need to remember that when Paul is writing about gentleness, and we're talking about gentleness today, we're talking about power or something that is born of power and not weakness. So gentleness, like meekness, but in particular we're focusing on gentleness today, gentleness, I think, is misunderstood and many, many ways undervalued. And we need to make sure and ask for the Spirit of God to come and cultivate in us this fruit in our lives so that we can manifest gentleness or this power under control, not only inwardly, but that we can manifest it externally or outwardly to other people that we are engaged with. It is something that we see. So my focus point today is simply this. God's gentleness is power under control. Let us become that way. So God's gentleness is power under control. Let us become that way. That is the focus point that I want to spend our time on today. We're going to look at the gentleness. God's, God is power and God is powerful and gentle. We're going to see Jesus and how Jesus is powerful and gentle. And then the call for you and me to be powerful and gentle. If God's gentleness is power under control, then you and I let us become men and women who display gentleness of being powerful but yet under control, not being weak in that mindset. Jonathan Edwards says this in your notes or on the screen. He makes this quote. Gentleness may well be called the Christian spirit. All who are truly godly and real disciples of Christ have a gentle spirit in them. It's a strong statement from Jonathan Edwards. We have, those of us who call on God, those of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ, because the fruit, the Holy Spirit lives in us, this fruit of gentleness is there, and that gentle spirit is here with us. But we want to make sure that we are looking at it correctly and viewing this rightly to make sure we're manifesting this gentleness in a way that does not show weakness but shows power and strength under control. And so the first thing that we want to look at 
is that God is powerful and gentle. Go with me, look at, with me at Isaiah. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 40. I want us to look at this here. Isaiah 40. I want you to see out of Isaiah chapter 40, all of the scriptures here out of this verse, we're going to start and look at verse 10. When it describes the Lord, when it describes Yahweh, God, our Father, behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, His reward is with him and his recompense uh, before him. Now go with me down to verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the earth on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Now go down to verse 25 and 26. To whom then will you compare me? This is the Lord talking. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out of their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by greatness, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. You can get and see from Isaiah chapter 40 here. This, this idea of God and his strength and his power and who he is. And he said, hey, who is like me? There's no one like me. Who is like me? But then in this same chapter, look at verse 11. Look at the one who is powerful. Look at it how Isaiah and God describes himself as the one about the greatness of our God. In verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Don't you love that description of Yahweh, our God? He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. There's nothing that is going to be able. There's no one who's like God. There's no one who's there. He's the essence of strength and power and grace. And yet in the midst of all of this, he's the one who's there to care for his sheep like a shepherd. He's there to gather them in his arms. He's there to carry them alongside him and gently, gently lead them. This is what God's gentleness is like. There are, go with me two verses over because I want you to see prophecies concerning in Isaiah 42, verses 3 and 4. Prophecies concerning The Messiah who is to come. The Messiah who is the one that the nations will be looking for. What will this Messiah look like? Look in verse chapter Isaiah 42 uh, verses 3 and 4. Well, let's look at verse 2. It says, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. This is a promise of the Messiah who is to come. And we're going to see in just a moment how this this was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This passage here was fulfilled in Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. In other words, the Messiah that's coming... This brood reed, which is the weakest of all things, a faintly burning wick, rather than snuffing that faintly burning wick at, no, he's going to be gentle. He's not going to break this bruised weed. He's not going to snuff out that faintly dimming flame of a candle that is burning, this wick that is burning. He's going to gently care for that. This is what the Messiah is going to look like. And then 
we'll look at Zechariah 9.9 in a moment when we look at Jesus. But we see this idea and we know not only is what God like out of Isaiah 40, but we can see it all throughout Scripture, both Old and New Testament. This gentle, loving Father that is caring for His people who constantly is, is putting up with their sin, calling them to repentance through the prophets, asking them to return back to Him. He is gently like he describes himself in Isaiah chapter 40. He is gently caring for the sheep as a shepherd does. He's carrying those who are his children in his arms. This is what we see as we look at these different passages of what is taking place. So we see the prophecies, as I mentioned, of the coming of the Messiah, the ones that are be taking place. And then I want to look at now Jesus as being powerful and gentle. When we went through the Gospel of John a couple of uh, eight, ten weeks ago, when we took about 20 weeks to go through the Gospel of John, Jesus made this statement all throughout the Gospel of John and he makes it through every Gospel. If you've seen me, you've what? Seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm not doing anything on my own. I'm only doing what the Father tells me to do. So Jesus is constantly showing us and telling us what his Father is doing. Jesus showing gentleness basically is a reflection of what his Father has done throughout history. And so Jesus, look at in your notes or on the screen, in Matthew 28 or Matthew 11, Verses 28 and 29 says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? For I am what? Gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is telling the people that have grown up in Judaism, those grown up in a religious society where all they know is the law. Jesus said, don't put the law on yourself because you cannot bear the law. There's no way you're even going to be able to fulfill the law. The law is here to condemn you. The law is good. That's what its purpose is for. The law is not bad. Jesus says, I did not come to eliminate the law, I came to fulfill it. So we know that the the, the law is good. It's good in the sense that it shows us our sin and it shows us a need for a Savior. But Jesus says, hey, don't take the yoke of the law on you. You've been carrying that yoke. Jesus saying, hey, come to me. Come to me, all you who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my, don't put the law, the yoke of the law on you. Put the yoke of me on you. Why? Because I'm gentle. The law is harsh. The law shows, the, the law is a, is a taskmaster. It shows us how bad we are. It shows us uh, how we cannot live up to God's expectation. It shows us all of these things. So, Jesus doesn't want us to take on the yoke of the law. He wants us to take on his yoke because his yoke is gentle. His yoke is grace. His yoke is freedom. His yoke is not a slave taskmaster. His yoke is one that says, come, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is, this is the one who is gentle. This is the one who has cast out demons, who's healed every disease that is there, who who has the authority over wind and rain and turbulent seas. This is Jesus who is powerful and has all authority and he has this power that is unlimited and yet he's still gentle. You see what gentleness is? Men in particular for us today, but for every person here, It is not weakness. God is not weak in any way. Jesus, while he lived on this earth, was never weak. 
Jesus displayed everything. He had the power and the ability, even when he was being accused wrongly and he sat silent, he had the ability at that moment to call angels from heaven, as many as he wanted to deliver him. But yet he had that power and that strength under control and that ability to know that I've got the power to do it, but I'm not going to do it because I know God's purpose is at stake and I know that I am gentle and loving. I've got the ability to do all things and his gentleness is seen and exuded through his power. This is what Jesus says. And then in fulfillment to the passage out of, uh, out of Isaiah 42 it is said of Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench. This is in fulfillment of the prophecies pertaining to the Messiah. This is describing Jesus. Jesus, it, they are quoting this. Go with me to Matthew chapter 12. I want you to see it because they're quoting this in relation to who Jesus is. Matthew chapter 12. And we can look at verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and he ordered them not, not to make him known. Don't say anything about the healings that took place. This was to fulfill what the prophet, what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will he hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will hope. This is in reference Jesus bringing healing to individuals, many diseases being healed, the power and authority over sin and sickness and disease. He has all power on these things, and it says yet he is doing this to fulfill the prophecy because of the gentle heart that he has to see people well, and he heals people, and he's not beating them down. He's not looking at them, and he's not looking at them and saying, you know what? You could get better if you had greater faith. If you would believe and trust in me, you wouldn't fall by the wayside. If you would open up your eyes, blah, blah, blah. He's not coming harsh. He's, he's, He's a powerful, gentle Savior. He is both lion and lamb. Amen? That's our Savior. This is Jesus Christ. And then Matthew 21, 5 is basically the fulfillment... Of Zechariah 9.9. Go with me to Matthew chapter 21. And let's look at this in verse 5. Again, fulfilling these prophecies of showing this king, who is the king of kings, who has come down and made himself a man. Look what it says here. As they are getting ready for the triumphal entry where they're declaring to him, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest and throwing the palm leaves out and everything along those lines. So he tells his disciples to go and find a a donkey. In verse 3 it says, If anyone says anything to you, you just say, Hey, the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. It says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Gentle or humble, gentle, same word there in the Greek, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the beast of burden. These are the things that we see Jesus displaying himself as he's getting ready, as he's heading toward the cross, knowing at what his purpose and his end is coming to. And he humbles himself, not coming in grandeur and spectacle, but coming in Humbly and gently on a donkey to display who he is, the gentle Savior. When you think gentleness, think Jesus. When you think gentleness, think Jesus. And so now we have the challenge for you and me. You and me, we 
we are to be called, or we are to be powerful and gentle. Now, we certainly don't have omnipotent power like God and Jesus do. I'm using power in that sense of that it's not a weakness. There's a strength. There's a strength that we have as human beings that resides in us. Not that we walk around uh, with an Eeyore mentality. Oh, no, it's just another day. I'm so poor, so weak. I can't stand up for anything. I just, well, oh, poor me. It's just a rainy, rainy day. Now, we're not walking around with the Eeyore mentality. We're walking around as children of the living God, redeemed by Jesus Christ, and we have a power and authority residing in us, right? The Holy Spirit who resides in us, the same Spirit that resides in us is the Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, amen? And we have power and authority over sin. We don't have to sin anymore because the Holy Spirit is in us. We have, we have the ability now to when temptation comes our way, we can actually say no instead of yes. We have the ability to live godly lives. We have the ability, as Ephesians 4 told us, to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to live in a manner worthy of the calling on which we have. We have this ability and this power and this authority to overcome sin, overcome the flesh, overcome the devil, overcome this world. We're not men and women that are walking around just constantly in a defeatist mindset or somehow we think that weakness or piety is somehow strength and it's not. We see the power and the strength that we have residing in us that this power that we have is under control. And that we can, when need to, we can be strong, we can be firm, we can take authority over sickness, sin, whatever, flesh in our lives, but yet at the same time we can be gentle. But the gentle side is where we've got to cultivate. The gentleness is what we've got to pray for. Because I I know in my own life, as I was preparing this, I just look at it and I just say, oh, oh, Lord, help me. Not only Lord, help me, but Lord, forgive me. I don't know if I've ever prayed for gentleness in my life. Not that I'm harsh or anything, but it's just one of those things, gentleness. No, man, Lord, I want boldness. Give me boldness, Lord. There we go. Yeah, that's what I'm praying for. Boldness, strength. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, Phil, how about some gentleness? And it's good that my wife didn't say amen there. You know that? <laughs> and so this is what we are to do. You see, it takes strength, God's strength, to be truly gentle. We are not to be passive. We're not to be doormats. But we are to be assertive and confident but with gentleness. That is to be there. It's something that is constantly a challenge in our lives. And constantly, I mean, think of this. If, if, if the Apostle Paul, not only out of Galatians 5, but you're going to see a host of other scriptures where, where, where in many cases there is a command for us to be gentle. I mean, it's just not a fruit of the Spirit. Paul is writing in in Ephesians 4, 2, which we saw already. I mean, he's writing in in Colossians 3. We're going to look at James. We're going to look at a host of other scriptures where the writers of the New Testament are wanting this characteristic manifested in those who call Jesus Lord. So there's got to be something to this. And to be in one of the nine fruit of the Spirit It's got to say something to us that we have got to cultivate this and how do we cultivate it? And it's basically praying and then responding rightly to it. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But first, I want to just contrast uh, Galatians when we are to put on or to clothe ourselves with gentleness. First, I want to contrast Look at Galatians 5.19. Go back there. 
because I want to contrast. Look at the works of the flesh, which we talked about in verse 19. And look at the number of the works of the flesh here where gentleness is in direct contrast to that. I think out of the fruit of the Spirit there, you could go back to every one of the fruits and point back to the works of the flesh. But gentleness, I mean, you know, I mean, let's look at it. I mean, you got impurity, sensuality, okay, enmity. I mean, that's just hatred towards somebody. That's what enmity is. You think gentleness is in contrast to that? Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. You you, you see how much gentleness is compared to the works of the flesh has, man, we need gentleness in our life as a result of what is taking place. And then as we read earlier, Ephesians chapter 4, therefore I urge you, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So this calling to which we have been called, what is this calling to which we've been called? To live for the glory of God, for the purpose in this manner of life, to live as a disciple of Jesus, to live as a follower of Christ. And Paul says, I want you to live worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and impatience, bearing with one another in love. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then, put on as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, which is another fruit of the Spirit, Humility, gentleness, or meekness, some of your versions may say, but it's the same word there in the Greek, and patience. James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with gentleness, or some of your versions may say meekness, again, the same word there, Receive with gentleness the implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls. This is what God is doing. This is what we see happening in our lives. He's at work. Not just Paul saying it, now James is saying it. And then Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Let your gentleness... Be known to everyone. Some versions may say reasonableness. Let your reason. It's the same word in the Greek. Obviously, same word, same mindset, but it just shows you the broadness of that Greek word which we looked at earlier. Now, I want to say something and I want to be sensitive in saying this because I understand, but there are. Sometimes that gentleness is born in extreme trial or tragedy. Not all the time. We're cultivating this. And I don't pray this on anybody. But I know that at various times over the years of being a pastor for 30-something years, I have seen trial and tragedy come and break someone to a point to where the the gentleness just flows from them to where and even interacting with them to say do you think had this not happened that you would be where you are now in relation a to gentleness b humility and they would say oh no way Trial, extreme trial, not every trial, but extreme trial, and in particular tragedy, can sometimes birth a gentleness in us that we probably wouldn't have had it not come for that. And I I don't wish that on anyone. I want us to cultivate gentleness 
spirit born, putting our flesh to death, not through trial or tragedy. Can I on Thursday night went to a concert over the I would say the last uh, I don't know what what month are we in now? We're in October, so maybe the first of the year, I guess. It's been been quite a few months. Um, there is a particular song that the Lord has used in our lives over the last couple months, last ten months or so. And it's by a group called I Am They. And uh, so the other day I was driving, I mean a couple months back, I don't remember how long ago, it was four or five months ago, I, I was listening to the radio and I heard a concert coming to Ocala and I Am They is going to be singing. I knew, I knew we love this song and, and, uh, and I just said, I, they've got two or three songs that I in particular like, but this one is the one that's just ministered to Kay and me. And so I said, I'm going to surprise my wife. And, and so I went online and I bought tickets. And so it was last Thursday night. And so we went down to Ocala and, and uh, watched uh, I Am They. It was I Am They, uh, Hannah Kerr, Hannah Kerr, I Am They, and Jordan Felice. And, uh, but we went, for us, we went to see I Am They. And it was a great concert. It was wonderful watching them sing it live. We sing this a lot, this song and the other song, a lot like when we're going to bed, you know, when we're just, we're just together. And it's a song called Scars. Many of you probably heard it on the radio. And it's just a song, like I said, that has just been ministering to Kay and me as we, uh, for the last couple months, we love the song. But here, here's the words to it. It says, waking up to a new sunrise, looking back from the other side. I can now see with open eyes, darkest water and deepest pain. I wouldn't trade it for anything because my brokenness brought me to you. And these wounds are a story you'll use. So I'm thankful for the scars because without them, I wouldn't know your heart. And I know that they'll always tell of who you are. So forever, I am thankful for the scars. You know, it's a powerful song. It's a song that reminds us of what we go through in life. And in this particular case, they shared their testimonies and the pain and the struggles of what they experienced as they wrote this song. One, drug and porn addiction. Another, divorce. Another, through different means. You can go on their website and read their story or whatever the case may be. But it was out of all of this, out of this, this pain that gentleness is born. It is, it is Lord, I, I'm thankful for the scars because without them, I wouldn't know your heart. And I know they'll always tell of who you are. So forever, I am thankful for the scars. And that's, that's a mindset that we need to make sure that we are receptive and open to many times the pain and the suffering that we experience, that when we go through things, reminding ourselves that we're going through things to remind us of who he is and to remind us really of his faithfulness that he will take us through it. Many times when we're going through it, it's hard for us to see God, but when we get on the other side, as it said in verse 1, waking up to a new sunrise, looking back to the other side, I can now see with open eyes darkest waters and deepest pain. I wouldn't trade it for anything because my brokenness brought me to you and these wounds are a story you'll use. So I'm thankful for the scars. It's a powerful reminder for us and sometimes gentleness is born in extreme trial and tragedy. Sometimes we would not be gentle and have this spirit of gentleness had God not taken us through what he's taken us through. William Booth, who started the Salvation Army, had lost his eyesight. And his son, Bramall, was given the difficult task of coming to tell his father that he would not recover. And this is his response. Do you mean that I am blind, the general asked? I hear we must contemplate that, his son said. 
The father continued, I shall never see your face again. No, probably not in this world. Bramel, said General Booth, I have done what I could for God and for his people with my eyes. Now I shall do what I can without my eyes. You see, this is how gentleness is born, not only creating and a charging God with something, but looking at opportunities for God in the midst of something. Hear that. Opportunities are not, and things that come our way are not reasons to charge God with something, but opportunities for us to respond to God in something. We all have opportunities at various times, different varying levels of degree of difficulty that we experience throughout our lives. But no matter what, in darkest waters and deepest pain, God is there. On When you get to the other side, you're going to be singing, I'm thankful for the scars. Because without them, I wouldn't know who you are. Because we can see God in the midst of it. This is what gentleness is as we cultivate all of these previous scriptures that we read and that we saw. It's like, Lord, help us respond rightly to what you are doing in our lives. But we are to display this gentleness. We are even to confront believers with believers that are in sin with gentleness, right? Galatians 6 verse 1, brothers, if any is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Sometimes we leave those last three words off, right? Brothers, if any of you caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. And we think, what does that look like? But Paul's saying, do it with the spirit of gentleness. Do it with love. Do it with patience. Do it with all of these things that we do. But think about it. I mean, Paul is writing about it. I mean, think about this. It only makes sense that a spirit-filled believer is the most equipped to restore someone caught in sin with a spirit of gentleness. Amen? I mean, you wouldn't be looking to the world to restore a brother. You want, look, you, want to, you want somebody who has the Spirit of God in them, someone who's accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in them, and you want that person. It only makes sense as that person is the one who is most equipped to restore someone caught in a sin because we have the Spirit of gentleness dwelling inside of us. But look at, at how else we are to respond. We are to stand We are to stand for truth, and share our faith, yet we are to do it with gentleness. This is you and me. So, so again, I want you to see the power and the gentleness that comes. We're to stand for truth. We're to share our faith. We're not, when people in the world bring accusations against us or against Christianity, and we're making a defense of our faith, we're not being weak, are we? We're showing the power of God that's inside of us as we stand for truth. Because, folks, the more we stand for truth, the more you're going to be persecuted. It's just the nature in which you were born into. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. So don't think that the world is going to love you. They're not. You stand for truth. You stand for righteousness. You are not going to win many friends in the process. Look at, and you quote in your notes are on the screen. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy. Honor Christ the Lord as holy, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. So apparently, the lost and dying world see is to see something in us as we honor Christ as Lord. They're going to want to know what's different about your life. And then when you begin to share about Jesus, they're going to ask you for the reason for the hope that is in you. How come you're not bummed out? that this is happening in our world? How come you're not this way? 
but we give a defense to anyone who asks. But Paul says, or Peter says, I should say, that we do it with gentleness and respect. We do it with gentleness and respect. 2 Timothy 2.25. This is given to the elders as well, but it affects all men and all women. And it affects every person, I should say, to us. But in particular, he says, correcting his opponents. Elders should be able to correct their opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. You see, part of our responsibility as elders of a church is that we are to correct our opponents with gentleness. Why? So that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Titus chapter 3, verse 2 says this, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy to all people. You get this idea from the writers of the New Testament that they want us to be gentle? That somehow that this trait, again, this word gentle, remember what it means, power under control, strength under control. It does not mean weakness. But we are to demonstrate this in our lives. And then finally, the le- I want you to think of the Apostle Paul. I mean, what an incredible example we have in Scripture concerning Apostle Paul. Man, this man, was a, he persecuted Christians. Uh, he encouraged the murdering of Stephen. He was harsh. He was angry. The, uh, this man was out to eliminate the Christians in his day. And then God shows up. And this man gets saved. And then I want you to see his own life and how he describes himself as Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Now, you have to understand the Corinthian church was a a large church in a large metropolitan area. Uh, They had many gifts in the church. Uh, there, there was a lot of issues pertaining to the church in Corinth, okay? First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, uh, we see that they've got divisions in the church. You've got people, they got their favorite speaker. We do it here in the modern day. You know, I, I like this person. So First Corinthians chapter 1, you've got those people that say, hey, I'm of Paul. Others say, hey, I'm Apollos. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. And then you've got your really spiritual group over here that says, I'm of Jesus, so you've got this whole wide range. I mean, the gifts are flowing, but it's chaotic. It's, you know, people are drinking communion wrongly. They're dying, going, I mean, this church is like unbelievable. They're questioning Paul's apostleship. I mean, it's just, it's a never-ending cycle. This church uh, is just amazing. And you see all of the stuff that comes in. And so Paul, who has apostolic authority and power, He's coming in, and I mean, he's ready to set these guys in, in, in straight. I mean, this is why he was writing 1 Corinthians, right? He writes 1 Corinthians because they're abusing the spiritual gifts. They're abusing communion. They got it wrong with the women and the men. They got this going on and that going on. I mean, there's just so many different things. He's trying to straighten his church out. 2 Corinthians, he's writing it. has to write him a letter again. He's got to write him another letter. To remind them of everything. And, and now they're questioning his apostleship and he's going on and on. Now, if, and this is where the grace of God, it's lucky I'm not the Apostle Paul. Because if I'm dealing with the church like that, I'm doing this. Kicking them out. You know, it's just like, I'm done with you guys. But not the Apostle Paul. His mindset is totally gentle and loving and kind. I, I just sit back and I, I love when I read this. Second Corinthians 10 1, he says this I, Paul, myself entreat you by meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. This is, this is how Paul is entreating the church. This is how he's entreating them not only when he's there in person with them, but when he's writing them, this letter is done. He's, it's done with gentleness. It's done with faith. It's done with all of this. And then even in 1 Corinthians, his first letter where he writes to them, when he says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? That's probably how I would have come. Or with love and a spirit of gentleness. You see, this is what and how 
the Apostle Paul reacts. And I just sit back and say, Lord, give me grace. Give me grace to walk through with this spirit of gentleness. And as the worship team is coming forth, I want to end with a um, I want to end with a story that I had read from Jerry Bridges out of a book that he had written, and he tells of a story of a friend of his who is an ex-marine, and this ex-marine would always uh, sign his letters, "Keep tough and tender." And then sign his name to it. Keep tough and tender. And he would say, tough on ourselves and tender with others. And that's really what we need God to do in us. Amen. May we keep tough and tender because that is the spirit of gentleness. And as we close, just a reminder of what it means. God's gentleness is power under control. So let us become that way. Let's stand. Father, we thank you today. Lord, help us to become men and women who display gentleness not only to a lost and dying world, but that we would display gentleness one to another in the church of Jesus Christ. Father, help us as parents and as husband and wives to show gentleness to one another. Lord, where we have failed, forgive us. Forgive us, God. And may the Holy Spirit come and give us gentleness, power, strength under control, we pray.